Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. I am John Ledyard with you here, and this podcast, which is energized by our friends over at Celsius. You know me well. You know the Pewter Report podcast well if you're tuning in and listening. This is the penultimate Pewter Report pre-Super Bowl Pewter Report podcast. We've got one more that'll be going up Saturdays. You know we're going to be live from Glory Days. It's going to be a ton of fun. I'll have more information about that show as we go through this podcast. But first, got a special guest from enemy territory coming in, Kansas City Chiefs. He covers the Chiefs. He does his own thing for the Chiefs on Substack. And as well, in addition to his work with The Athletic, which is excellent, a longtime follower. We were joking. We've never actually met in person, but we've talked for years on Twitter. Seth Keezer is with me here. Seth, how are you, man? I'm doing really, really well. And I get to bust your chops right out of the gate because you no. mispronounced my name. I knew yes. it. Me, what me was spelling it? my name wrong pays off again. Is it, how's it, how's it, how is it said? Kaiser, exactly Kaiser. how it's not spelled. I was going to say, I went for it. I realized before we went live, as we're like counting down that I forgot to, and I have it in my notes to ask you how to say it. And I forgot to, went for it, screwed it up. Kaiser. I was hoping as you started, I was like, oh, he's going to do it. <laughs> People have constantly put like an N in my last name, like Len Yarn, and there's not even an N there. I'm like, what are you doing? But that's what it caused the thing. So, okay, mess that up. We're off to a great start. Seth brings yes. a lot of knowledge on the Chiefs, though. Uh, just uh, you guys know because you, wa- you watch the show all the time and you hear me talk. I'm always about like what's the what's the um, logistics behind the process of a team, things like that. Not like oh, you know, this team's good at rushing the ball. I see that because they have a lot of running yards, rushing yards. We know that part, but how do they get there? What was the process? And Seth does a really good job of breaking that down for the Chiefs. He's always my go-to when I have questions uh, about that team, and I've had a lot of questions, and we'll have a lot of questions for him on this show. We've got lots to talk about in lieu of a Super Bowl matchup that I don't think many people – they saw Seth's side of it coming early in the season, but I don't think they saw the Buck side of it coming. So it's going to be fun to talk about on this show, and it's all brought to you by our friends over at Celsius. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. I've got my Celsius right here. Got it for the show. Orange sickle. Seth, have you ever tried Celsius before? I can't say I have. No, I but say, it sure seems to be working for you. It's it's pretty great. It's an energy drink. There's no sugar in it. Uh, it's really cool. Actually, we had um, we had uh, a member of the Backstreet Boys on here the other day, and he was kind of talking about. We were bringing up Celsius and talking about it. Uh, on the show and he was like oh yeah celsius i have like a whole fridge of it and so it's funny how fast that the word has gotten out about celsius but orange sickle yes i mean it is one of my favorites probably celsius from the heat line uh they do an awesome job you can click on those celsius banner ads at pewterreport.com and you can save 30 percent off your subscribe and save order you subscribe and save 30 percent on most celsius flavors on amazon from now until february 8th that's coming up uh, February 8th, the day after the Super Bowl. So make sure you get that in now. Celsius is running that promotion. At the end of the show, stay tuned to the end, and you can uh, find out a chance to win a three-month supply of Celsius. That's a lot of cans of Celsius. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But, yes, you will see me drinking the orange sickle on today's show, uh, one of my favorite flavors, and a little creamsicle-like for the Bucs uh, old throwback uniforms uh, for sure as well. So some fun stuff with Celsius, as always. Check them out. It's the best energy drink out there. There's no letdown or anything like that after a few hours. There's no sugar in it. I can drink it and get that. It's got that soda pop and flavor to it, but it doesn't have any of the bloated feeling or anything like that. So check it out, Celsius. Uh, I think you all will love it. I know many of you have already tried it. I think I've got probably three or four dms this week as well i think it seems like i get them every week from people who've tried celsius for the first time and fallen in love with it so some really good really fun stuff all right we got to talk chiefs and bucks and this super bowl seth i'm going to start off with this question for you okay i've said this on the podcast and bucks fans have kind of been like oh man like why is he saying this like but 
the Chiefs, in my mind, are starting a dynasty. I don't know what well, – doesn't mean they'll win on Sunday at all, sure. in my opinion. But they're starting that type of – they have that type of a look as a team. You know, they came close, won the Super Bowl, back in the Super Bowl now. We'll see what happens in it. The AFC is good. Uh, there's plenty of talented teams, and they still appear to be head and shoulders over everybody else in the AFC. And as I look across, I'm like, mm, I don't know where anybody closes the gap right away. And obviously, we'll see how things progress. The league is quickly changing, as we know. But you've thought about this, Seth, I'm sure. You've thought about like this Chiefs team, the difficulties of building a winner long-term in today's NFL, like the Patriots were able to do, obviously, for the last 20 years. And I've obviously covered Brady now for a little while and I've thought a lot about that as a longtime Steeler fan. I've watched the Patriots dynasty. So I guess in your mind, as you've thought about that and you've looked at this Chiefs roster, how do you build a dynasty in today's NFL outside of just having the quarterback? Um, how do you build that? And do you think the Chiefs are is in position to do that and to become that kind of team as it seems like most in the national media do? Sure. And I mean, you, you took the most obvious part is have the quarterback. Right. That's that's the first and foremost thing. In today's NFL, you're not going to have a dynasty without a quarterback. I'm getting Celsius envy watching you drink that. This <laughs> seems unfair. I'm going to be at a disadvantage if we debate. Um, it, but it, more than just the quarterback, you know, we've seen with Deshaun Watson what can happen with a quarterback in the wrong hands. Yeah. And we've also seen how a quarterback who's a, who's a good quarterback can go from looking relatively mediocre to excellent in different situations like Ryan Tannehill, right? So you also need the right head coach. I think fans at the same time overvalue and undervalue head coaches. They tend to focus on the things that people love to talk about, like when they call timeouts and, you know, the things that they can be important, but they don't impact the game nearly as much as overall scheme and the ability to adapt that scheme to an ever-changing league. And that's something that makes Andy Reek stand out. He has been an offensive guru for 20-plus years. And during that time, we've seen a lot of offensive gurus come and go because they couldn't adapt their scheme as defense has caught up. So you need a coach who can do that. You also need a coach who can work with players. There are a lot of good coordinators that are bad head coaches mm -hmm. because it requires a personality thing. So you need, you need the head coach. You need the quarterback. And if you build around those two things, you need good ownership for the right. most part. Yep. You generally speaking, that's one area the Chiefs have been blessed is that uh, Clark Hunt is an owner who's got a good cash flow. So he's he's, he's capable to manipulate the they can manipulate the salary cap by doing bonuses up front because he's got the available cash. But he also hires the guys and then gets out of the way. Mm -hmm. So you really do need things to come from the top down and the quarterback. If you do those things, you should be able to consistently stay in contention. And from there on, you know, the dynasty part of it is just a little bit of luck. Um, once you have all the pieces in place. Yeah, no, good points. I mean, it, it does. It starts with that stability of an organization. If you don't have that, you know, it's hard to consistently be anything, you know, in today's NFL. You look at, at Philadelphia as an example of that, you know, and they were kind of – they won that Super Bowl and they did it without Carson Wentz at that point when he got hurt. I remember people talking about, man, they look like they're poised, like they got this defensive line and yes. they got this young, great quarterback and their O-line's exciting. And obviously injuries killed a lot of that uh, and that, you know, deserves a head nod for sure. But also, you know, the infrastructure. You know, we look at Doug yep. Peterson now on his way and Howie Roseman, you know, really drafting poorly and the structure just – it's in place kind of totally crumbled. And so it takes something special. You got to keep that together. And I think that's why – Bucks fans have a lot of hope that you know, with you know we'll see how long Bruce Arians coaches, but Jason Light been one of the best GMs in the league for the last four years has put together a remarkable roster. The ownership is very supportive and and obviously blessed them going out and spending and last couple of free agencies they've been able to add a ton of people like Jason Pierre-Paul, Ryan Jensen, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, AB, and so there's been this kind of full support at the top, and we'll see. Obviously Arians and Brady, everybody thinks they're going to retire at some point. We'll see what happens. Bucks will obviously need to if they want to continue moving the roster in the right direction, find a quarterback eventually. But in the AFC side of things, I'm curious, obviously as the playoffs started, Seth, you kind of, you know, you have this one eye on the Chiefs and you're like, okay, like I I feel good about the Chiefs. I'm sure reaching the Super Bowl is as most people expected them to before the season mm -hmm. even began. And if that happens, did you have your eye on the NFC at all? And and if so, like, did you say, I want, I want this team maybe. Like this is the best matchup for the Chiefs. This is the toughest matchup for the Chiefs. 
This is personally the most exciting matchup I would have seen. What What did you think as you had kind of one eye on the NFC? What were you kind of thinking would happen or hoping would happen? Sure. Watching the NFC as the year progressed, things kind of changed a little bit. For a while, with the way the Saints were playing before Drew Brees' play kind of started to really taper off as the year went along, I looked at them as potentially the worst matchup for the Chiefs um, for a reason that you and I am sure are going to talk about a lot, that their pass rush is based around sending four dropping dropping seven into coverage and they get a ton of pressure that way and that's again we'll talk about this that's yeah. really been the only thing that can slow the Chiefs down for any period of time for the most part um and then they had the offense to keep pace well as Breeze's play level dropped off then you know that the same thing was happening with Russ Wilson still had that dropping off and the, the defense was never going to make it in Seattle right. Um, yep. Even when they started off great earlier on in the year, I thought eh, it sure would be fun to watch Mahomes and, and, and Wilson trade punches in the Super Bowl. But that defense was never going to do it, um, barring Wilson scoring 60 or something crazy. Um, and so then it really did come down to the final teams that it came down to, the Packers and the Buccaneers. Um, the Buccaneers, they started to get it together a little bit as the year went along. I mean, they had a lot of spare parts there. Mm-hmm. It was a really good coaching job by Arians to – kind of stay the course, not overcorrect when things weren't quite working early. Right. Um, and then the, the – so those were the two teams that I really was watching. So I felt like a genius this year because I, I had predicted the, the top four teams. Although I think as the season went along, it wasn't that hard to get the final four. This felt like one of the first years where the final four teams that made the conference championships were the best teams in the league. Yeah. They all deserved to be there. But the Buccaneers were the matchup I preferred – in part because of all the storylines about Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes. True. And, and in part, and I'm sure that the, the Tampa Bay fans that hear me say this are going to, they're, they're going to be mad at me. And I apologize. I, I think in some ways, I think the chiefs match up pretty decently with some of the things the Buccaneers try to do on defense. And I thought that that might be a little bit better matchup for them. Yeah. Specifically, what are those things as you kind of identified them? You know, as you were looking at the matchup and saw what are the things that the Bucs do defensively that you think the Chiefs can take advantage of that maybe a team like Green Bay wouldn't have been the case? Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, I think if you end up getting into, you know, an offensive shootout, while scheme and that sort of thing does matter, the the whole Aaron Rodgers fire breathing dragon thing is something that I can't get past. You know, unlike the Buccaneers, the Chiefs don't have Rodgers' number. And man, they 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 he played better against them in the conference championships, but they just they they did a really nice job neutralizing him and he's been unstoppable all year. So that was part of it. The other part is because Tampa Bay's defense, even though they played Kansas City a little bit different in week 12, is so oriented on on blitzing being aggressive, sending a little extra pressure. And even whether they're dropping in man or zone, they don't always love to provide their corners with a ton of help on the outside. They, they count on them getting it done, and they should. They've got good corners. For the Chiefs, that analysis changes a little bit. Yeah. And so you end up in a situation where they're kind of forced to make, say, a similar decision to like Baltimore, where you decide, okay, we know what we normally do doesn't really work great against the Chiefs. So do we try to take two weeks and change things up completely, which should lead to mistakes, maybe not as good execution, or do we try that thing that doesn't really work against them? And so it's that primary, that that aggressiveness that just overall has not been super successful against the Chiefs in the past. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because the Bucs played so much single eye coverage early in that game against the Chiefs and really got yeah. toasted with it and then switched gears in the second half. Yep. And I know the numbers were better. I think the Chiefs still left the touchdown Hardman on the field. And there, was still, <laughs> there was still some interesting. That was so bad. Yeah. We've talked about this on the show. I'm curious to get your thoughts. But I felt like the last time, if the if I'm the Chiefs and I'm the Bucs re-watching that game, the first thing impression I'm coming away with is, man, we should add 40 points for both teams, I think. You know, the Bucs got down in a goal-to-go situation, which they are like a, a deadly on this season. They don't they come away with three points. Turned it over twice deep in Chiefs territory. The second one was just a really weird play, especially. They blow the protection on the first one. And, right. you know, it's just kind of like, oh, man, there's points like right here. Like first drive of the game, deep ball under pressure, right past Mike Evans' hands for a huge gain in yep. the Chiefs territory. It's like, oh, my goodness, you know, Chiefs, same thing. They go down. Even even if you give the Bucs the strip sack, which I'm, I'm you know, I, I get that. And I give the Chiefs one of those interceptions. Yeah, it's you got the Kelsey play, and it's like, oh, my word, you know, that, that should be a touchdown, the, the failed Philly special play. And then you got the Harvard touchdown. from the, It yeah. just seemed like, man, there were points on the board, 
that yeah. were left there by both teams. And I really wonder, Seth, if that means if both teams are clicking, could we be ready? Could we be primed for like some kind of offensive explosion in the Super Bowl? That would be so much it feels fun. Feels like it never works that way, though, doesn't it? Like it feels it, like it, it you never, get your expectation. Yeah, we're we're on our way to like an eight six snooze fest or something. Um, so the Rams, Patriots. Yeah, yeah. What was no. really interesting about the fact that they left points on the board and they did that that McCall Hardman drop was so bad, and, and he knows that. I mean, it just it happens. Didn't and also, Mahomes tweet right after the game. The first thing he tweeted was, "How did I miss McCall?" Because he threw it behind him a little bit. He was like, "Yeah," and it really wasn't a great that. throw. And man, that's that's a franchise quarterback thing, right? Yeah. I'm gonna get out ahead of this because McCall still should have caught it. <laughs> he should have, yeah. It, but it wasn't a good throw. I think Mahomes. I'm wondering if that was one of those situations where he dropped back and he's just like, how is he that open? You know, know. okay, don't overthrow him. Don't overthrow him. Don't overthrow him. Oh, crap. I threw it behind him. (laughs) Um, And that might have changed the entire tenor of the game. You know, that really allowed the Buccaneers to to tighten up and and, and really start getting back in it. Because I think at that point, I think it might have still been 27-10 at that point. Um, but I might be wrong about, about the order of those things. It might have been right after they scored, too. And so it could have made things tougher. But the, the interesting thing, even though both teams left point, points on the board, both teams played pretty well in spots on defense, too. It wasn't just like it was a situation where it was bad defense leading to scoring. It was really good offense. Like, say, on, on the Chiefs end of things, one of those touchdowns to Tyree Kill um, over Carlton Davis. I mean, what is he supposed to do? I mean, yeah. Mahomes throws it on a rope. and He was there in coverage. He just didn't, you know, people would say, well, get your head around, look. You really can't turn your head when you're sprinting with Tyreek Hill because you might stumble because you might I mean, these these things are hard and what what can you do? Um, and the 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 Bucks had multiple plays where they they pushed the ball down the field with really good play designs that got Gronkowski wide open on a busted mm-hmm. coverage. Um, they took advantage of a of a deep seam route that ended up with Alex Okafor covering him down the field, which was a weird. Yeah. A weird thing to see that, that kind of sparked the offense that play a little bit yeah absolutely and so the, and the Buccaneers did a great job early on Spagnolo gave them some problems mm-hmm. and they really started to pick up the blitzes they started to get the ball out to the right spot and so even though it, it's kind of a cool thing that even though it was in some ways an offensive dominated game The defenses did play well, and they forced good offense to beat them. Because in today's NFL, good offense does beat good defense. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it kind of exciting because we could see a shootout with good defense because both offenses are so good at executing. Right. It's That's exactly right. I I think – you could see the type of, you know, shootout where a defenses make the key plays in the game or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, I mean, even to some degree, Packers, you know, Bucks when the game had just happened was, you know, a I don't want to say shootout, maybe. I was kind of like that though. I mean, it's kind of it was a high scoring game, but both yep. defenses you know came away feeling pretty good, probably. I mean, I know the Packers decided to make a change at DC after the game, but I felt like they corrected <laughs> some things after struggling early. They corrected some things, they got three straight right. turnovers on drives, you know what I mean? And you know, Bucks defense came back. And so it is, it's been that kind of a Super Bowl. I think you're right. The four best teams made those final four. And I think we've got the two best ones here in the Super Bowl. I know Packers fans would say that they have a, a, a stake in that as well. But, you know, I think when you get two shots and you can't come up with either of them, I think it's, it, you know, I take that sample size pretty seriously. And so I think that, yeah, you have a scenario in this game where you could be in for a really fun game if both teams can execute. I think everybody would like to see that, um, to be honest. You know, the Super Bowl, to me, when it's been a, it's, it feels demoralizing. Like it doesn't matter who you cheer for, but I remember that Seahawks Broncos Super Bowl, and it was just like a, the game was over right away, and it just felt like I don't know. Like, I really enjoyed that one. Oh, that's right. Uh, that would have been fun. I found that pretty entertaining. At that time, as a Chiefs fan, that's all we had was that's to right. enjoy watching that happen. Um, but absolutely, a, a great game is always more fun to watch. Although I have to say, last year was stressful. And I wouldn't hate a lower stress game, but that's just me being selfish. It seems like they love the – I mean, last year the whole playoff run was probably stressful for you. <laughs> I can't even – the Bills game probably started and it was 9 nothing, and you were just like, nah, I'm used to this. This is fine. Were you even worried at all at 9 nothing? I was not. Um, it was fortunate enough that both teams had had a drive – to where I saw the fact that the only reason the Chiefs hadn't moved the ball is because Hill dropped a perfect throw. 
And the Bills, you know, they they got down the field and got a field goal, but it was a struggle. And you could right. see it. You could see Allen wasn't seeing his protections. Yep. And the secondary was playing well. And so you could kind of see the struggle. It's like, look, they're not going to keep muffing punts all day. And again, after the division, the division round from last year with the Texans, I don't know if I'm ever going to get nervous again in the first quarter of a game or even the second quarter, <laughs> uh, because it, it just really when 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 you cheer for the Chiefs right now, and I don't even try to pretend to be a objective like during sure. games. I tell the um, fans that all the time. There's no reason to like. Yeah. We obviously care about who wins, and we're covering the team. Like we're obviously we care to a degree. We can yeah. still be unbiased in yeah. our coverage. Well, what a what a life! I get to work watching the Chiefs play football. I tell them, oh, I'm sorry, honey, I'm working. This is right. it's, a, it's a grind. Um, but it's a uh, it, it was one of those situations where we've seen so much from Mahomes that the only thing I thought when they went down nine nothing is like, eh, all they have to do is score a touchdown this drive, and you're right back in it. And that really is the mentality. Even if they're if they're down 14, my thought is, ah, eh, that's just a touchdown away from a one-score game. Mahomes really does change everything. That was one of the, the topics I wrote on earlier this year is that when he's when the Chiefs are trailing, he ratchets it up into an even weirder level of play. At least he has so far. We'll see how it goes in the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. But his his EPA, his expected points average per play just suddenly like doubles. When they're trailing, it's freakish, right. and, and on third down as well. And so it really has become hard to get nervous. And, again, I know I'm infuriating every other fan base that's watching me right now. I understand you want to punch me in the face. Remember, <laughs> I've never even seen them play in a Super Bowl until last year. Yeah. I earned this during two and that's 14 right. seasons. You hung in there through some tough times for sure. You know, they had some yes. good teams, but couldn't get – it was the Brady teams and the Manning teams, and you couldn't get past those. Well, just – Andrew sort of Luck like recovered his own fumble. His <laughs> own fumble. He recovered and scored. They were up 38-10. You know what? I can't talk about I remember this. that game. I, oh I don't forget. Gosh. I don't remember where I was. That was Alex Smith. That was Alex Smith. It there, was 38-10 in the third quarter, and they lost. Oh, man. We don't. I mean, we really don't talk about that comeback enough. That was incredible. Well, I mean, probably not for you, but, yeah, that was <laughs> – and that was that was a wild, wild game. I remember that. Nice. That was crazy. But yeah, I mean, I think that in this game, one of the things I keep going back to when the Chiefs have the ball, it's okay. Is there a recipe? And you've watched every Chiefs game. You've studied it. Obviously, there's no formula for beating Patrick Mahomes. People that thought they had one for Brady over the years. Oh, interior pressure is a formula. I just really don't know if you actually found a formula for a guy who's been in 10 Super Bowls. I just no. am not sure you found it. Like does he get sacked by interior pressure like every other quarterback? Sure, like, but it's just a really funny narrative. But anyway, I don't know that there's one for – I know that there isn't one for Patrick Mahomes. Having said that, have you seen anything that's thrown him off a little bit? I know they lost one game with their starters in to the Raiders. It really wasn't for lack of offensive success. Yeah. But I know that some other teams, the, the Saints had some success. I know they ended up scoring yeah. still like 32 points, but the Saints did some good things, and the Falcons right. held them in that one game to 14, 17 points or whatever. Absolutely. And so – I'm just curious, what have you seen? Has anything bothered the Chiefs offense at all? Nothing does consistently except for the usual things. You know, they say this, and, and this is the same thing about Brady, you know, you hear it for years. You know, if you can get pressure with three or four, that really bothers him. It's like, well, that's true of every quarterback. Obviously, if you can get pressure without blitzing and drop more guys into coverage, that's better. Yeah. If you have an extra guy in coverage. I would say, so the Saints game is a great example. Um, the Saints have a really good front four. They rushed the passer really well. Both the Chiefs' tackles were also playing with bad backs that game. Eric Fisher got worked over pretty good. Um, or no, Wiley was playing at right tackle that game, and, and Mike Remmers was actually out. Um, that was the, actually the only other game I've seen Wiley really play at right tackle in the last couple of years until uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So that'll be interesting. It didn't go well, you're saying? Um, you know, Wiley actually outplayed Fisher that game. He played oh, better sure. at right he, he did. Fisher was hurt, and you could tell. And basically the reason he played that game, I, I could almost guarantee you, is that there was a conversation with before. I'm like, look, man, we're going to have a rookie in here if you don't play, and Patrick's going to die. So we need you. And, and he played. It wasn't great, but he, you know, he got out there. So Wiley actually played better at right tackle than he has been all year at right guard. And so we'll see how that goes. I mean, that's a really good Buccaneers front. But if people can get pressure with four consistently and they play, they, 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 they try to flood those, those shallow and intermediate zones, trying to make sure you don't have a quick bailout. 
And usually you're going to want some sort of, now it's hard to flood zones and have a spy. So at a certain point, it sounds like I'm saying, you know, if you've got 14 players on defense, but you know, if you look at some of the things that like the Chargers have done over the years, in that they really play aggressively in the shallow and intermediate zones. And they actually, they'll give up a little bit more in the deep zones because they're trusting two things. One, deep passes are inherently more inaccurate than intermediate passes or, or shallow passes. And so they're less likely to succeed consistently. And so what you got to do is set it to a situation where Mahomes has to play hero ball to move the sticks. And the other thing that you do by, by maybe giving up a little bit of the deep ball is you're forcing those routes to be a little more long developing. And that way, if your pass rush is getting home, he can drop his eyes and that sort of thing. So that can stop the Chiefs for a while. We saw that in the Super Bowl last year um, where, where they did a really nice job with variations of, of cover three. They weren't doing anything super fancy. They just got a ton of pressure. Nick Bosa might have played the best game I've ever seen an edge rusher play in the Super Bowl last year. Oh, yeah. He was um, unbelievable. It was so. It was one of the most dominant performances I've ever yeah. seen um, against again poor Eric Fisher. Um, but the he made a couple blocks. Him or when he's lo- when he's losing I, a battle, he's, he's yeah, a it, was, it was just that's the problem with being an offensive lineman. Um, and Fisher, by the way, for people that don't watch Chiefs consistently, he's developed so much over the years into an important part of the Chiefs' offense. The Chiefs generally trust their tackles on an island, and it's not an easy job. Um, I've compared him to Donovan Smith, actually. I don't know what you think. I know you don't watch the Bucks all the time, but it's been, you know, I remember Eric Fisher early in his career. He's a bust. He's bad. Like, and then it was kind of like, oh, he's continuing to get better. But, oh, man, as soon as he loses, as soon as Khalil Mack comp moves him, you know, yeah, it's on yeah. Twitter. Oh, he's yeah. a bust what, again. This what do you mean? Fun. Khalil Mack beat you with a long arm? It's like, yeah, him and everyone else in the league. It's <laughs> well, exactly right, yeah. That's been and, the same arc for Donovan Smith, though. It's been, sure. you know, the same type of he's. He's, he was bad to start. He got better, yeah. got better, got better. But all his bad plays got blown up. And, you know, I've said kind of all season, like, you guys got to recognize this guy makes some good plays. So I've tried to draw attention to that. And I think Fisher – I've compared him on the show to Fisher. Anyway, Fisher, I know he's not playing in this game. And that, that right. sucks because, he, you know, he was a big part of obviously getting them there. And having to play without Mitch – without Mitchell Schwartz was Man. obviously really tough. He's one of the best in the league. He he is. And, and I, I really do think – I think people – in general, get a worse viewing experience for Mitch Schwartz not playing because it's almost impossible to overstate how good he is at right tackle. Um, and it's funny because he, he he does it in such a different way than like Lane Johnson. And anytime, what I always tell people is no matter if Mitch Schwartz is playing some scrub defensive end, he looks like he is trying his absolute hardest yeah, and almost true. getting beat every snap. And then if he's playing Khalil Mack, he looks like he's trying his absolute hardest and almost yeah. getting beat every snap. But he never loses. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone loses every now and then. But it's just never. And it doesn't matter who it's against. And it looks the exact same every time. It's like, oh, man, you know, he almost lost that rep. And then you get 50 reps in. It's like, oh, he didn't lose any of them. Yeah, Boy, right. was it close. <laughs> and it's so much fun. Yeah. Um, but really, you know, to go back to with the Chiefs, if you get pressure, you you force them to really try to launch the ball deep to where you get a little more inaccurate passes as opposed to letting Mahomes carve you up. Everyone says, oh, you know, you got to take with the deep ball. And you try, for sure. Don't leave Tyreek Hill one-on-one. Don't do that. But Travis Kelsey will kill you with death by a thousand paper cuts. And teams, like you saw the Bills, they tried to take away the deep ball, and largely they did. But it cost them. And the Chiefs can move the ball 20 yards at a time with intermediate throws or get a 70-yard pickup. And so if teams do that, if they, they force them to take riskier throws down the field, they, they flood the zones a little bit, you know, play aggressive, maybe get a little grabby, do whatever you can get away with, have someone assigned to hit Travis Kelsey at the line of scrimmage. Bill Belichick did it for years. He'd have his edge rushers line up right there and just deliver a shot on Kelsey. I often tell people, if you want to know what Travis Kelsey is as a player – Watch how Bill Belichick defended him because he was terrified of Travis Kelsey. And so if you do all those things, you can hold the Chiefs offense down for quite a while. The only problem is, and this is people are sick of hearing it, but it is true. And people that watch it, the Chiefs game week, week in and week out see this. Like with the Saints earlier this year, sometimes it just doesn't matter. Yeah. And you have to take that one drive at a time that if you do everything right and Mahomes does a few just – 
absurd things and they score anyway, you can't let that affect you. You've got to keep going. And if he does it two drives in a row, can't let it affect you. Got to go back. And I think that's where teams get demoralized eventually a little bit because it's hard to feel like you're playing perfect defense and they're scoring. So you do all those things. You've got a good chance of stopping them with the caveat. Sometimes it's not going to matter. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I said. You know, I I said if the Bucks defensive line doesn't dominate the game, the Bucs don't have a chance of winning. If they dominate the game, they have a chance of winning, but still could lose. <laughs> like, it's just the reality. Whereas if the Chiefs defensive line dominates the game, the Bucs yeah. probably aren't going to win. You know, and now, now the Bucs have an obviously a much better offensive line. The Chiefs still have a really good defensive line. But it's kind of becomes – yeah, yeah. It kind of becomes just, okay, like the, there's just more things that could go wrong basically for, for the yep. Bucs. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean they can't do it, obviously. Uh, I picked oh, yeah. the Bucs to win on the last podcast. I think there's some magic going on there. But I, the Chiefs obviously – uh, uh, as formidable as it gets as an opponent, I, I would go so far as to say this would be the best win in Bucks franchise history, better than the last Super Bowl, better than beating the Eagles and shutting down the vet and all that stuff, you know, overcoming the Saints finally and the Packers, like just because of the magnitude of the opponent uh, that they're about to play. I really believe the Chiefs are about to be one of the best dynasties we've seen. Obviously, that's a, like we've talked about, there's a lot that goes into a prediction like that right. that we can't see at this point in time. So it, it is a bold prediction uh, by definition. But <laughs> well, I like uh, no, it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You're probably fine with it. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this, and let's flip flip the script to the other side of the ball. Last time the Chiefs, uh, defensively, they blitzed the Bucks about 50% of the time the last time these two teams met. It was probably – a lunatic. I mean, he's crazy. He's crazy, but he is – I love him, and I think he's been underrated for ages because he will just game plan for specific matchups so well. He'll change everything he does – for specific matchups, I think that's why, even though he doesn't have the most talented players, makes his guys really hard to beat because they do what he coaches them do for a specific game, like at a really, really high level, and it makes them really hard to beat, even if they don't have like, I mean, they have Chris Jones and they have Tyron Matthew, and sometimes they have Frank Clark, depending on what Frank Clark shows up. But those guys, I mean, they don't have like a million stars on that defense, but they've gotten right. by with a bunch of corners nobody's ever heard of. And <laughs> in some cases, like Rashad Breeland, that other teams didn't want, teams that need corners that didn't want. And he's made it work with those guys. And I think it's just incredible. My question to you then, I guess, is do you think Spags comes out and does the same thing again? Do you think he comes out and says, I'm going to blitz you till the cows come home until you show me you can stop it? Or do you think he's right. like, oh, no pressure and drop out? I think he blitzes 70% this time. I think Spags is a Spags is he is a madman, especially against Brady. And this has been consistent since just the last couple of years, the times they've played him. He just goes after him. And I think he's just accepted the fact that when you've got some limitations on defense and you've got an offense that can score the way the Chiefs can score, you don't need to dominate the game defensively. And you can give up some big plays as long as you make some big plays because it's just a different analysis for the Chiefs if you give up a touchdown. It's like, ah, oh, well, what are you going to do? The offense will probably score. But if you can even – what the Chiefs tend to do is go on runs. And if they can get that big defensive play, like two drives in a row, you know, that sets up a team to like second and 13 or third and 13, and Chris Jones has a way of winning on those third and longs and you get just a couple stops in a row, the Chiefs have a tendency to go on runs where suddenly, you know, they put up 21 points in a hurry. And the comparison you see people making lately is, you know, the heyday of the Golden State Warriors, where other teams just didn't know this. It's like playing a different sport where suddenly 21 points are up and, and the game feels over. Yeah. Um, I, I expect him to blitz like a maniac, Um, especially and I'm sure you've been pouring over the film of the AFC championship and, and the divisional round and comparing that to week 12. If you look at the way um, for the free safety, Juan Thornhill is moving now, as opposed to week 12, where Ronald Jones ran past him once Godwin ran him past him once he was clearly, I think physically he was there. He said mentally he wasn't back yet from a torn ACL. He just wasn't moving. And, right. th- and then you turn on the playoffs and it looks like a different guy. Right. Um, he looks like he's back in, in his he form looked, last year. I mean, he was unbelievable against the Bills. I was like, this yeah. guy looks elite. Yeah, and and he – I mean, he he's so fast. He's got great speed. The very first time I ever saw him, I wasn't a huge fan of the pick, and that's something I've been eating my words on since then. And then I went to training camp, and they, they had Tyree Kill run, you know, some kind of post, 
and a player ran with him stride for stride. And I'd never seen that at training camp before. Hill is just freakish at those things. Right. And I was like, who is that? It was Juan Thornhill. I was like, oh, crap. I'm going to look like an idiot. <laughs> you knew um, that And I have repeatedly, very happily looked like an idiot about him. He's got really great range when healthy. And he was the guy they had play almost all of their, their single high or middle of the field deep safety snaps last year. And this year he just couldn't do it. He was not moving well. So they had to rotate and do a few different things. You know, they had Dan Sorensen back there or something. That's not his game. And with, yeah, not at all, for the love of God. <laughs> Um, but he will make one big play. Just wait for I it. Know. It's going to happen. I he's the guy. <laughs> he's the guy that I've said for years. Every time I tweet out, I just don't get why the Chiefs love Sorensen so much. There he goes. Ball tipped yep. up in the air. Sorensen's picking it yep. off. Like, he, gets, you know, just, yep, he gets a pick six to send him to the playoffs or something. It is uncanny, and I've stopped doubting it at this point. Um, and, you know, they, they would rotate Matthew back deep, but – that takes away a huge weapon. Spagnolo, in addition to being aggressive, he loves making his safeties move all over the place pre-snap. And Tyron Matthews is a big part of that because he can play literally anywhere. And by, by pigeonholing him back deep, it kind of takes away from – I've been trying to get rid of Sorensen and Mox for six years now. I saw someone <laughs> just commented, we all have. The man won't die, and I respect that. Um, and and I, I just do. So – they, they, they're able to use their safeties more the way they want to with Thornhill playing healthy. And he really does. When you add him into the mix, I very much do believe that he's a pro bowl caliber free safety. And it changes the entire dynamic of that secondary because they go from being pretty good with, with, with Matthew, who's obviously a great safety and Sorensen who in certain spots can do well, but can get exposed to suddenly having a really, really good safety there who's comfortable in man coverage against tight ends and even some wide receivers. And it allows you to do a whole bunch of different things. And the other side of it, one of the reasons talking about Spagnuolo being aggressive, he really trusts his corners. And like you said, it's a bunch of no names, but Legereus Sneed has come in and played really well for a rookie. Um, haven't found anything he's bad at yet. And so we'll see how that keeps going. But, you know, Bashad Breeland has played well in his scheme and none of them are like playing at a superstar level, right? Um, Sneed might get there at some point. He's a little more physically talented than the rest of them. But so like Bashad Breeland, Charverius Ward, Rashad Fenton, names that most people don't know, but they've all played at a, at a, at a, a little above average level at the least. And when you go four deep like that and you trust those guys to hold up, then you can just, well, you know what we should call again? We should call cover zero and just yeah. go after him. Right. And that's what Spagnolo does. And he doesn't care if they get beat a couple times. Yeah. He just doesn't care. Tom Brady could th- could complete five or five passes, go for 80 yards, score a touchdown the first drive, and on Spagnuolo blitzing, and he'll he'll open up the next drive with you know engage eight or something crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, it's a great point by you though, because you're right. The the way you coach defense when you have that kind of an offense does change. That's something not something I'd really thought about much in in terms of prepping for this game and just knowing what wondering what to expect. Now that I hear you say that, I think you're right. I bet they come out and they blitz. I don't know about 70, maybe 70. I mean, I think you're right. They go after him. I'm here and, uh, for it. Just yeah. for the chaos. Right. I mean, <laughs> honestly, what was so impressive to me about the last time they played, I actually thought Brady did really well against the pressure. Remember his throw to Evans early in the game, he got hammered. His throw to Godwin down the seam, he got hammered. You know, he was yep. right. Everybody was bad. Even Ali Marpet didn't play well in fast tricks in that game. I mean, that was right. – Really across the board, one of the it was the last time I think the offensive line played poorly, but a lot of the pressures weren't even on the O line. It was on the scheme, you know, early in the game, like you mentioned. There was, you know, he, he's looking for hot routes. No receivers are turning around and looking for the ball. It was a again, I thought Brady weathered that storm and didn't wilt where the Saints game, I thought everything just fell apart and he couldn't overcome it. I thought he hung in there and when the rest of the group got their yes. crap together, you know, they he was ready to ball and and so they they came back a little bit. We'll see how they start this game. You know, the Bucs really, since that game, have not – they've had moments in games, the first half against Atlanta, you know, a drive here or there. But really, for the most part, they have not been affected by blitzes or yep. pressures nearly as much since that Chiefs game. One of the big reasons is the bye was right after that game. After the bye, they came out. They had answers for pressure in their scheme a little bit more with quicker throws, lots of screens. They got the running back screens, tight end screens, wide receivers, smoke screens, bubble screens, slip screens. They had all kinds of stuff in their offense as answers to pressure that they didn't have before. So obviously Chiefs will look at that. They'll prep for that, and they'll react accordingly, I'm sure, with some of the things that they do. It is going to be a chess match, and it's going to be a blast. 
A couple more questions for you, Seth, before we let you go. But first, I want to let people know about Locker Room. It's an app that is changing the way we talk about sports. It's the only place for live audio conversations about the takes, rumors, news, and teams you care about. React to sports news as it happens. Gather all your friends and watch parties for the biggest games. Rep your favorite teams and find your community. Better Sports Talk is just a tap away. Download on the Apple App Store and join the conversation. We just had a locker room uh, room open today, and we had some fans in there. We were talking about some X's and O's stuff, some scheme stuff. We get into the nitty-gritty with the Bucs and in the offseason. Guess what? We're going to be talking about the NFL draft, free agency, potential trades, all of that stuff. So make sure you've got that locker room app and follow Pewter Report when you get in there. It's a totally new cutting edge type of thing. We've been excited about it. Seems like fans have loved it. We've got about, we're closing in on 100 people following us on there. And it's like a brand new app. I don't even know how many hundreds of people are even using it, period. And Bucks fans represent a good bit of the demographic there. So excited about that app. Make sure you download that app. Make sure you download Locker Room and check that out. They're doing some pretty cool stuff over with that app at Locker Room. Uh, we're excited. They also sponsor the Bucks Briefing, my Tuesday column uh, that y'all hopefully read. I know you read every single week. I appreciate you all. Um, they sponsor that as well, which is pretty cool. So, Seth, I got to get you out of here. I know I hear very soon, but wanted to ask you this before I let you go. Let's say you're the Chiefs defensively. Pressure is obviously a part of the equation, but pressure maybe not getting home as much, or maybe, maybe even is. But if you're the Chiefs, you're going into this game plan, other than wanting to send pressure in this game, what is your focus in this game? What did you think when you watched the Chiefs Bucks last time, or just when you watched the Bucks in general? What's something that scares you about what the Bucks do that you don't know how well the Chiefs are going to match up against? Um, I, I'm spooked by the Bucks tight ends. Uh, mm. The Chiefs they they Good don't job. have, even though they've got a couple of safeties who can cover tight ends, that's not how they like to use them. And for some reason, it always seems like it's Sorensen who's in man coverage on a tight end one on one on like third and twenty, and it never ends well. Um, Brayton and Gronkowski uh, had Gronkowski especially had a good game against them last time. They they don't defend tight ends as well as I'd like, um, and I think that's a good way for them to try to take advantage of some more aggressive looks when the Chiefs do utilize man coverage. Um, I think now that they throw the ball a little more to their running backs, that's always been an issue for the Chiefs. Um, Willie Gay Jr. not playing is going to be a problem for them by far. Their fastest sideline to sideline running or linebacker. Those things spook me. If, if I were the Chiefs, aside from trying to send pressure with blitzes, playing really aggressive with, with the corners and just trusting them with, with a little help from Thornhill and, and Matthew, I would say they they should be very careful not to get so wrapped up in their blitzes and in stunts and twists, and, and Spagnuolo loves to play games up front. They also need to go out of their way to get one-on-one matchups for Jones inside, You know, having him run, line up a gap yeah. wider or something like that. Because occasionally this year, one thing I've seen, they get so wrapped up in blitzes, which then requires a different thing from Jones. You know, he's not necessarily trying to win. Uh, You're occupying your guy, you you know, but that takes away one of their greatest weapons on defense. And he's a guy that if you get him in one-on-one positions, he's inevitably going to win at at some point. And if they can do that, that should help them kind of almost like a mix-up thing to where, you know, they, they're not sending five, they're not sending six, but they've gotten Jones, you know, some kind of mismatch. So that's something that I would try to do is really make sure they don't get so caught up that they lose track of who I think is their best uh, individual defensive player. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I, last time that these two teams played, obviously the Chiefs were successful, but Chris Jones lined up everywhere. I was looking today. I mean, he would – like 12 snaps at right defensive end. He was 10 snaps at left defensive end, 16 at right defensive tackle, 12 at left defensive tackle. Like, I mean, he literally, his snaps were split up. He was a different place every snap, it seemed like. And so it is kind of interesting because you're right. It, a lot of it is not, he's not just lining up somewhere against the weakest guy and trying to win 1v1. They, right. I wonder if they do that in this game with Aaron Stinney playing and not Alex Kappa playing for the Bucks at right guard. Yes. I wonder how much they just plug away at that matchup. It's going to be, Pretty fascinating to see how he deploys that. And then you're right, what the pressures take away from that. Or, you know, maybe they let Chris Jones go and it's more rush four and we'll be surprised. Right. But uh, it's <laughs> a possibility and it could work for them too. So I have one more question I want to definitely ask yeah. you before I let you go. First, I want to come back to this a three month supply giveaway with Celsius. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that if you stuck around, you would have a chance to figure out how to potentially win this three month supply of Celsius. Celsius and Pewter Report have teamed up to announce a free product giveaway of a three-month supply of Celsius. 
The originals, the heat, BCAA, sweetened with stevia, all of it, meaning eight to 12 pack cases or 96 cans of your favorite in stock flavors. Two lucky Pewter Report podcast listeners and visitors will be chosen at random to win that three month supply of Celsius. Here's the details right up there on the screen. If you're watching the podcast live or re watching it, here's all you got to do, okay, for a free three month supply of the Celsius flavor of your choice. Subscribe to the Pewter Report YouTube channel. That's all you got to do. Go over to Pewter Report TV, hit subscribe, click that bell to get the notifications for when we go live. You'll never miss us when we go live. I know you don't want to, so just go ahead and do that right now so you never have to worry about missing us when we are live. Also, follow Celsius Official on one of your social media platforms, either on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Give them a follow. Follow them on all three if you could. That would be awesome. Uh, but they only need you to do one. Then screenshot the image proof of the subscription to the Pewter Report YouTube channel and an image of the follow of one of the Celsius, uh, at least one of the Celsius social media platforms and submit your entry to www.celsius.com slash pewter. Right up there on the screen, you can see that, P-E-W-T-E-R. The contest ends February 8th, and the winners will be chosen shortly thereafter and notified by Celsius. So make sure you're doing that super cool giveaway with Celsius. They're always doing some cool stuff. We uh, are excited and thrilled to be partners with them. Got to plug this, too. We will be live at Glory Days in Carrollwood on Saturday, noon to 2 p.m. The Pewter Report crew will be down there. Myself, Scott, Mark, Taylor, Matt. Cliff, our photographer, I think is going to be there. Uh, there'll be everybody will be down. Dwight Smith from the old Bucks Super Bowl team is going to be on there, and he is going to talk about the Super Bowl. He's going to address his crazy interview with WDAE and some of the things that he said. We're going to ask him about it. We're going to challenge him on some of that stuff. I know that uh, some of you all are, are frustrated with his uh, comments there. I don't blame you, and we're going to put him on the spot and drill him about some of that stuff and also ask him what it was like to play with Rodney Barber, John Lynch, and if he thinks they're getting into the Hall of Fame uh, Sunday morning. We'll find out about that. And so – uh, we've got lots of that coming on the show, noon to two. Again, we'll be live down at Carrollwood. I personally, being new to the area, and I've lived here two months, I would love to see y'all Bucks fans out there. Meet some of y'all, even if it's from a distance, mass, whatever. Plus, they've got great food at Glory Days Grill. So uh, go down there, noon to two on Saturday. Going to be a ton of fun. Get some pictures with us or, or say hi to us and listen to the show. It's going to be a blast uh, for sure. We'll be live on the podcast here as well, so you'll be able to catch it on the stream. If you can't get out there, but I'm definitely hoping uh, that you can get out there too. I know, wish Tampa Bay Trey could be there. I don't think – I asked him, I said, are you going to be on Tampa Bay soil for this Super Bowl? And he said, nah, I don't think so. And I was like, dude, come on. <laughs> and last time he was here, they won. So, I mean, I don't know what he's worried about, but uh, I don't think uh, Trevor will make an appearance. But you never know. Maybe he could surprise. Um, so, hopefully I get to see you all there. Uh, a noon to two on Saturday. That'd be fun. Seth, last question for you before I let you go. I got to get you out of here. I know. Tell well, me. You, you actually, I was going to say, you've already given me like PTSD by mentioning John Lynch because every time I think about John Lynch, I think about the time he looked like he'd killed Dante Hall. And I have no idea if you remember that. You know, I'm, I'm pretty old at this point. I'm trying to remember what happened. I remember Dante it, Hall definitely getting stretched out, but. It, it was it was just a hit over the middle of the field that would have gotten him like suspended for 10 games. Wow. It wasn't intentionally dirty. He just yeah. – it's how John Lynch hit. And Hall was just, I mean, full sprint going towards it. And I, I will never forget because he just he just dropped. And I remember thinking, I think he's dead. Yeah. And I, so every time I think I hear John Lynch's name, I think about that hit. <laughs> now I've driven you. <laughs> That's funny. No, my last question to you, though, is more about the, the run defense here, Seth. Okay, yes. so the Chiefs are, have not been good against the run. I also don't know if the Chiefs care about being good against the run. I'm pretty sure it was you who wrote an article last year about the Chiefs' run defense not being that great and it not mattering. And I thought that was a great article because I thought it brought up great points. The Bucks, on the other hand, have this amazing run defense two years in a row. Yes. Best run defense in the NFL. They shut down everybody running the football. They are good against Vita the past two, but at times this season they've cheese of East. I know and it's so it is kind of this puzzle right now for me. You have a team that totally cares and starts with, and they've said they start with stopping the run in the box. That's not going to mean much against the Chiefs because you got to stop the pass against the Chiefs. Everybody knows that. You have the Chiefs that are all built on stopping the pass and seem to not care about the run. Do, yes. are, do you get concerned, or do you think there is a path for a team if they run the ball unbelievable? Is it even if they run the ball unbelievable? And the Bucs haven't run the ball unbelievable in a game all season long, really. But <laughs> if they did run it, I mean, they've run it better than last year, but they're not a great rushing team. 
Sure. If they ran the ball, unbelievable. Would there any scenario with running the ball worries you as a Chiefs fan because of the way that they play defense? Um, only in the sense that if there's an awesome defensive performance by the opponent as well. And then it's more about the defense, right, than it is right. about the fact that they're running the ball. Yeah. It's just um, it's just hard to run the ball for four quarters efficiently enough to keep pace with the Chiefs if they're doing anything like what they normally do on offense. Um, but, I mean – it, it can be more important, you know, at the very end of the half or the very end of the game. Right. But really, outside of something borderline historic, um, <laughs> it just doesn't concern me. And that's why, I mean, the, the thing with running the ball, even if you're averaging six yards a pop, you're eventually going to get that one or two yard carry that sets you behind the stakes and you got to do something else. So it just, it doesn't stress me out that much. And for, it doesn't seem to stress the Chiefs out either because they'll just let guys run all right by him, it seems like sometimes. They've been a little better in the playoffs. Um, yep. Derek Nottie's really, really stepped up lately um, at the defensive tackle spot. And Anthony Hitchens is actually playing some of his best ball at linebacker. Not wow. necessarily in coverage, but I digress. So, uh, But against the run, they, they've looked a little better. But that's just, like you said, they just don't care that much about that. Yeah, And nobody can run against them. I'm um, very yeah. long. I mean, what are you going to do? Keep running the ball when you're down 17, nothing. I mean, that's right. The, yeah. Just, it's like, okay, I, I guess right. if you want to, if you want to drain clock right now, that's your right. problem. Yeah. That's why Duke brings up a good point. Their defensive rush throws are a bit overstated, only a bit below average by EPA in neutral situations. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is probably that they're not in a ton of neutral situations or they're not right. getting run on in a ton of neutral situations anyway, because teams know going in, you got to throw the ball to keep up with them. Right. And that's why I have hope that a Bucks team that has run the ball in first down about 70% of the time over the last three weeks, I think will finally get away from that again and go back to throwing the ball in early downs. If they don't, think they might be screwed Seth <laughs> I think they should stick with that I think even if it doesn't work on first down I think they ought to run again just you know really establish it and right you need to shelter this Tom Brady guy not sure how he's gonna play in the big game <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah you don't want him to crumble under pressure <laughs> that's right yeah no for sure all right Seth I appreciate you coming on so much this was awesome I'm pulling up your Twitter handle right now it is at Real MN Chiefs fan. Make sure that you give Seth the follow. Even if you're a Bucks fan in the stream here and you are checking this out, definitely give Seth the follow because you're going to want his insight. You're going to want his articles and his content and check out his insights during the game as well and after the game on this matchup. And so uh, there's a lot of fun stuff coming from his account, and he's just an awesome dude, and it's great to follow him and have known him uh, for this amount of time. And I really appreciate you coming on and giving us some time, and I know it is a very busy week for both of us. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Seth Kaiser, Seth Kaiser, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Seth Kaiser, Kaiser, K-I-Z, Micah Kaiser's brother. That's who. He, that's what I'm going to remember it now. I'm going to call you Micah after the linebacker. Seth Kaiser, ladies and gentlemen, awesome having him on the show. Don't forget, noon to two in Carrollwood. We'll be live on the Puyo Report podcast on Saturday. Make sure you either come down, check it out with us, or that you join us on the stream. We'll tweet it out and have it up and everything. But until then, thanks for listening to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out.